0: Read with me, please. Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great news of great joy that will be for all people. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them.
1: Luke chapter 2, verse eight through 20. I just want to remind you of one of the verses that Pat just read. Look at verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angel said to them, "That is those shepherds. Behold, I bring you Behold, I bring you good news. Behold, I bring you good news. It'd um, be interesting to know what that good news is. So we ought to find out. So, that is the title of our message today. Good news. Good news. I have a very simple thing I want to do today. Don't know how long it'll take. Probably not very long. Said that before. Three reasons for us why what the angels had to share is good news. Three reasons why we have good news. Three reasons why we have good news. That's what this passage is all about. It's about good news. Good news that the shepherds heard, and good news, hopefully, that we uh, hear. First thing. You want three reasons why this is good news. Are you ready? This is good news from God. Good news from God. Why is that a big deal? Let's say, for example, you owe a bunch of money. So you got a big debt. I don't know, maybe a car loan, maybe medical bills, maybe a house. you lost a job. Um, who knows what? Maybe you just spent a bunch of money on stuff. You don't even know what, what it was. But you got a big debt. And you have two uncles. One uncle, you might say he's kind of down on his luck. A little trouble keeping a job. A little trouble keeping the rent paid. And he comes to you at Christmas with a Christmas card that he made himself. You know he made it because he tore the grocery bag up to make the card. He gave it to you and said, listen, I'm going to pay off all of your debts. As soon as I come into some money... Don't you worry about it. That's covered. You consider that paid right there. Like, all right, thank you. Now you got another uncle, and he's been very successful. He doesn't know how to not make money. He makes money when he's trying to lose money. And he comes to you and gives you a card that says your debt's paid for. Which one of those are you going to get excited about? Good news, this is from God. Why does that matter? Because He can afford it. We have good news from God, and He's not writing checks that He can't back up. Good news, God has provided for us in a way that He can vastly afford. He says, he, look at verse 11, that what the angels say to the shepherds, unto you this day is born a Savior, that is, God has provided you someone who can get you out of the mess you're in. And not only that, look down at verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what the angels are saying is this. Good news, you have God who has provided you a Savior Not only that, not only does God have the ability to get you out of the mess you're in, even better than that, He does so and enjoys it. Look, it says, glory to God in highest. What that means is God is delighted, and all of the best things about God are made known when He saves people. So it's a double thing here. He says, not only am I going to save you... I am delighted to do so, and when I save you, all of the best things about me are discovered. You and I might be asked to do things from time to time that we can afford and we can do, but they bother us. They inconvenience us. You're at work, and maybe your spouse calls you and says, I locked my keys in the car. Now, you have the ability to drive home and unlock the car, But you will certainly, from time to time, when in your weaker moments, make sure that spouse knows exactly how inconvenient that was. Oh, locked your keys in the car again, huh? Hmm. Oh, and it's running. Okay. Oh, and the kids are in it, and they won't unlock the doors. Okay. And they're honking the horn. Yeah, I'm not saying this has ever happened. So you go home. Oh, I got it. I never lose my key, Right? I mean, this is what we do. This is not how God approaches salvation. Oh, you guys really blew it, huh? Oh, now I got to send Jesus. (sighs) Fine, whatever. See that? I mean, we think that God is begrudgingly uh, forced, painted into the corner, has no other option, so he's got to save us. That's not the case, according to the angels. He says, Good news, God has provided a Savior that can get you out of your mess. Not only that, this is the greatest way the best things about God are discovered. Glory to God in the highest. What's the best way to give glory to God? To illuminate and be understanding that He saves people who have rejected Him. God saves us because He loves us. God saves us because He loves saving. God saves us, and He does so happily. He does so with pleasure in His heart. What is the purpose of the good news To bring glory to God, to bring joy to God in us, to bring peace to all of those who would receive salvation from God. Look over at another verse. You may have to turn to it. uh, Well, you have to turn to it if you want to read it. Galatians 5.22. There's a verse you're familiar with. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, that is growth, that is characteristics of the Spirit. The Spirit of who? Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God. What is God like? Loving. Joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, all these things are what God is like, and all He has asked us to do who are in Christ is seek by the Holy Spirit to be like God is. So God brings us good news, a Savior is born, and He does so in an effort to make known to us, I am God of love, and of joy, and of peace, and of patience. What do you think God is like? When you just sit on your own and you think what God is, what is God like? Some of us, I think, might imagine that God's a bit grumpy. Seems to pop off the weirdest times. He's always smiting and smoting somebody. He's very vindictive. People do the smallest of things, and he seems to completely overreact. He's a bit short-tempered. Boy, And if we might really look at it in terms of how our prayers are answered, we might imagine, you know, the guy, is he's, he's also kind of cheap. I mean, I could explain to him how he could make things work out, but, you know, it seems like he's kind of pinching pennies. Now, these are all things we might think or imagine about God based on our own experience, but the Bible reveals something very different about God, God is love, God is joy, He is peace, He is kind. When they come, these angels come to the shepherds and explain to them the good news is from God, he, what they want them to understand is God is better than you have ever imagined. And we need to keep this in mind because one of the things the enemy of God, that is Satan, wants to do, and it's very effective, is he wants us to, conv- he wants us to be convinced that God isn't very nice. In fact, that maybe He's kind of mean. And then we spend the rest of our life trying to make this mean God nice by doing good things for Him. And when things don't work out the way we want, now not only is He mean, but He. It's not very considerate. The angels coming to the shepherds, they're saying, God has given you a Savior. He's going to get you out of the mess you're in, and He loves to do it. Nothing delights Him more than taking care of the problems that we have caused. Good news. Why is it good news? First reason is because this is from God, and He loves to provide us forgiveness. All right, second thing, good news. Good news is for those who need it. The good news is for those who need it. Now, I don't know if you understand how foreign policy works, but if a a foreign leader is going to visit another country, there's all kinds of protocols that go into place to make sure that foreign leader who's visiting uh, isn't offended. So if a foreign leader goes from one country to another, uh, somebody shows up and receives them as an official delegate of the host country, and if they send an official that's sort of too low on the totem pole, it can be very offensive. This is very complicated. Governments, like the United States government, have entire departments of protocol that are designed to make sure that when foreign dignitaries visit, they're not offended. Because a foreign dignitary could visit, you've got to send the right level person to meet them. You don't send the low level staffer to meet the president or a king. You've got to send somebody pretty high. But then it's also kind of complicated because this guy shows up from this country and you send staff level seven And this other country that sent somebody the other day, you sent someone lower. Where do we line up? It's like middle school, really. It comes right down to it. Now that I think about it. Got to be very careful. Got to mind your P's and Q's, understand the protocol. But look at this these angels, angels are emissaries of God, messengers of God who spend nothing, or I should say, spend all of their time in the presence of God they're intended to communicate God's message in the way that God would communicate it to the people who ought to hear it. And so when the angels come to visit, who do they come to visit? They don't go to the governor. They don't go to the priests. They don't go to the cultural elites. They don't go to the educated. They go to the shepherds. Now, we have to be clear. Shepherds, although they are talked about all throughout the scripture. Psalm 23 is one of our favorite psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. King David was a shepherd before God called him out to be king. In the first century, shepherds were outcasts. They were rejects. They were cultural sideliners. They were religiously impure. If they showed up at the temple, they would be held off at a distance. They had terrible reputations. They were viewed as thieves and and, uh, scoundrels you walk down the road and a group of shepherds came down the road, you would cross to the other side for fear that they would rob you or try to sell you something. And the angels came to these guys. Good news. Because the good news is for those who need it. The shepherds here had no claim whatsoever to have a relationship with God based on what they were taught. They were taught, as shepherds growing up, as young people in Israel growing up, that to relate to God, you had to have a good relationship with God through the temple and through the priest, and you had to offer the right sacrifices, have the right religious connections. These guys had long since failed at that. These guys were not good at being church people. They were lousy at it. And so their assumption would have been they had no reason for God to relate to them Nonetheless, God doesn't just send one angel. What does he send? He sends the whole choir. This tells us the good news is for those who need it because the good news is not because we deserve it. The good news is because God has decided of his own purposes to extend that news, that good news, to people who need it. Now, while the shepherds would know that they have no claim to have a relationship with God the religionists, the cultural elites of that time would have had a claim to God, or so they thought. In fact, for those who were religious and were connected with the temple system in a way that was just merely a, a merit system, they would have found the good news the angel had, was offering was bad news. What is the, the good news the angels were offering? A Savior is born. What has Jesus come to save us from? Our sin. Jesus has come to make a sacrifice of himself on the cross that our rebellion against God might be paid for. And then, not only that, he's going to raise from the dead, conquering death, so that we can live with God forever. So, Jesus is coming and providing payment for our debt of rebellion and rejection of God himself. And the religionists, what would they say? We're not that bad. God, we appreciate the help. We need a hand up, I guess. But you know, you don't need to go to such great extents. We're pretty decent people. I might say it this way: good news of the gospel of Christ to save sinners is good news for those who need it, and it's terrible news for those who don't need it. Because people who don't need the good news that Jesus saves sinners, they are convinced they're not that bad. And Jesus dying on the cross is an offense, because to look at the cross is to re- realize just how bad we really are. The good news is for those who need it. That is, people who understand and grapple with the realities of our frailty, our fallenness, our sin. Look with me, if you will, over at Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. We, just dis- we need to understand, of course, this is a familiar passage. But what God is doing here, what He's declaring through the angels to these shepherds, he's making it quite clear that the kingdom of God is completely upside down from how we normally see things. Matthew chapter five, beginning in verse three, Jesus said this: "Blessed that is happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It Could mean a lot of things. We could start with this. Blessed are the depressed. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are those with a heavy heart. Blessed are those who have gone through life and the trials of life have taken their toll. And Jesus said, no, you're going you're to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who inherits the earth normally? The opposite of meek. I wouldn't describe Alexander the Great as meek. I wouldn't describe any military conquering leader as meek. In fact, if you were to call them meek, they would probably demonstrate quite clearly how they weren't. Jesus said there's something different about the kingdom of heaven. Those who are meek are actually going to inherit it all. Those who stand on the strength. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We might say this in our modern day. The merciful are great. It's great to show mercy. But come on, let's be serious. You can't get walked all over. I mean, at a certain point, you've got to draw the line. You can't just get walked over. You can't just be taken advantage of. And then we look at the cross and say, well, I don't know if that's true. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus has done with these few verses is, is completely rewritten how we normally see success. And he says, success in the kingdom of God is completely different than anything in the world today. What we might say is this, when we have a right view of our brokenness before God, we, and we have a right view of what God is like, what the angels are declaring is really good news. So if you're strong, self-assured, don't have a lot of sin problems, are a conquering hero in your own world, the good news of, that Jesus came to save sinners might be a bit disappointing. But if you're like the shepherds, meek, discouraged, outcast, set aside, not a lot of good prospects in the future, you hear Jesus came to save people like you, you might get kind of excited. And that's exactly what they did. One more place to look, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. We're going to talk more about John the Baptist next week, but let's just tease it here. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says this about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one Greater than John the Baptist. You know, that's a pretty good character reference when Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, creator of the universe, says you're kind of number one. I kind of think when we get to heaven, he's going to talk a lot about that, but I don't know. I could be wrong. How did John the Baptist end his life? Well, we know he lost his head. He was beheaded. But before that, do you remember what happened in the prison? He sent his disciples out. He says, go talk to Jesus. What did he want them to talk to Jesus about? are you really him? I mean, are you really? I need to be sure because I've sort of staked everything on you and I'm not... How things are going aren't what I anticipated, Jesus. I mean, I've heard your sermons are... Well, they basically offend people and they all walk away. And The way you're going, you're going to end up with a group of about 12 people at the end. And when are you going to take over the government? And when are you going to fix the temple and... Isn't that funny? The greatest man born among women, as his life is winding down, what is he experiencing? Doubt, fear, difficulty. So look at what it says, the second part of Matthew eleven eleven, The one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What do we discover here? Maybe our greatness isn't what we want to stake our life on. Maybe we want to stake our life on someone else's greatness. And Jesus is saying, if you're in me, you're as great as me. Good news is for those who need it. The Bible makes it quite clear, since the beginning of time, since the first man and first woman, God had some good ideas about how life should operate, and we told him essentially to take a hike. And throughout the ages, this has been described in different ways. God just doesn't like us to have any fun, all the really fun things that there are to do, he said don't do those, and all the really dull and boring things, he said please do as much of those as possible. God describes all these ways in which we ought to live and we basically say no, we don't like it. And the problem is it's not just merely that we don't like God's ways, what we don't really want is somebody in charge of us, somebody who thinks they're God. It's frustrating when in your heart you want to be God when there's another guy bigger than you. And that's what we've been doing throughout all of human history, is we've been rebelling against God, saying, not only do we not like your standards, we think they're pretty poorly informed, I don't know if you've read the latest studies, God, uh, but we think we, we ought to be in charge. And the Bible tells us this, while we were still rebelling against God, He died for us. So what happens is, because we rebelled against God and because God is the source of life, we become separated from God. So because of that separation, we no longer have a connection with God who is our life. What is it called when you no longer have a connection with life? It's called death. So we're dead in our sin, dead in our rebellion. And what Jesus says he's going to do, he says, I will come and live my life with no sin. I will then die on the cross for you. And if you will trust me, that connection between you and God will be restored. You are now no longer dead. You are what? Alive in Christ. And they say, well, how long does that last? And Jesus says, watch this. And he kicks the stone out of the door of the grave. And Jesus says, I'm going to live forever. If you are in me, you will live as long as I do. How long is he living? Forever. So our relationship with God is restored, and our relationship with God will never end because Christ died on the cross to wash away our sin. He says, anybody can have a piece of this action. All you have to do is believe. I trust that what Jesus died on the cross was for me because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I trust he's gonna, he rose from the dead. Now, I know it's a very churchy thing to say that he rose from the dead. but we, I, So let me explain this raising from the dead thing. What we're saying is he was dead, and then he got up. And he's not dead anymore. Yeah, it's hard to say this because we're in church. It would feel more the way it needs to feel if we were standing in Starbucks. I've told you this. Try this next time you're at Starbucks or wherever you like to get your coffee. After you get your coffee, just try it. Just see how it happens. Just tell the person that you're buying your coffee from, you believe dead people can come back to life. And see what, just to see what kind of reaction they get. Say, I believe dead people can come back to life. How are they going to react? See what I mean? It feels very churchy. Of course, dead people come back to life. Then you go to, a, go to the coffee shop and say, oh yeah, dead people come back to life. You're going to get this. Really? Maybe you should slow down on the mocha there, little camper. But that's what, that's what we believe. And we, we say good news because without Him, we would be lost in our rebellion. Not only is the grave a certainty, but are going to the grave bearing the weight of our own rebellion is a certainty. Good news. It's all forgiven. Why did the angels go to the shepherds? Because they were bad dudes. If he would have gone, if these angels would have gone to some goody two shoes, we would have read this historical account later and say, well, that is good news for people like them, but what about me? I have, I've done things that I don't want to talk about. When we read that the angels went to the shepherds, it's good news. If if the angels would go to them, they would come to you and me. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 2 when the angels are talking to the shepherds, I want you to notice there uh, what the angels told the shepherds they needed to do. What the angels tell the shepherds they needed to do. I'm sure there's a list of things in here somewhere. You don't just tell people good news. I'm looking. Anybody find it? The list of do's and don'ts What good shepherds. Oh, it's not there. It's just good news. Just a, a quick thing. If you were witnessing with the shepherds, wouldn't you have just a bit of hope that once they found Jesus, they'd clean their act up? I mean, they could be the good kind of shepherds, not the... Not these kind, I mean, it's embarrassing. Isn't there just sort of this little hope? The angel. what the angel say? Hey, good news, you're covered. I'm going to sing you a song, download it on iTunes. No, I'm kidding, that's terrible. We can miss good news, first of all, because we don't think we really need it or we can miss the good news because we think there has to be a catch, and there isn't one. The shepherds go away singing because shepherds in a moment like that are now good shepherds, and not because they're now well-behaved. It's because they heard good news and believed it. Good news. This is good news for those who need it. Don't miss God's kindness by thinking you are better than you are. Don't miss God's kindness in thinking, well, Jesus died on the cross, but for me it was just a little bit of it. Most of that stuff was for the really bad people in the world. No, the whole thing you needed. And as long as we think we're pretty decent, we miss good news. Good news. Why is it good news? Two reasons I've told you so far. One, it's from God. You got that? Secondly, good news because it's for those need it. Okay, last one. Good news is worth sharing. Quick question. I'm going to ask two questions, and now I'm getting older. I'm realizing it may not apply to all of you. You maybe can remember where you were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. You remember where you were? I don't. I wasn't alive yet, although I've been to the spot. It's kind of interesting. It's a road. I don't know. There were cars on. You had to run across quick. Well, we want, there's a marker, right? And we wanted to see the marker. Anyway, Uh, For me, my generation is when the space shuttle blew up. I don't know if, uh, and then some of you are going, I don't even remember that. Um, Well, I don't have another one. I don't know. 9-11, obviously, would be a big one. But here's the thing. When you found out John F. Kennedy had been assassinated, or when I saw on TV in middle school the space shuttle blow up, you know, honestly, I don't remember what channel the TV was on. It was on a TV channel. Do you remember who how you discovered John F. Kennedy? Maybe somebody told you, maybe a mom or a dad or something like this. What made that that news powerful? What made it powerful is the information that was being conveyed. Yeah, the fact that the president had been assassinated, or the fact that this shuttle had blown up. The power was in the news, not in the person saying it. Anybody could have communicated that news, and the power was in the fact that this is This is serious business. And what we discover about the shepherds is the good news of the gospel is so powerful that guys who have been saved for like 20 minutes can be pretty effective at sharing it because it doesn't depend on the person sharing it to have power. It depends on whether or not it's actually good news. There used to be a TV show, it might still be on, I don't know, uh, called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Anybody remember this show? I think they built a house here in town some of you might have helped out with that but at the end of the show after the house has been built they've got the bus there right you remember that and what do they yell out mr uh, bus operator i forget how you said. mr bus driver move that bus i want you to notice they never had a problem We're like you know why don't i go get some coffee or something i don't know you want to move the bus no we'll do it later No, they've got a whole crowd out there, and what are they so excited to see? This family just go nuts over what's behind this bus. We can't wait to see their reaction, as a matter of fact. Look at the shepherds' reaction when the angels shared the news. They said this, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. They just leave their flocks. They leave their jobs. They don't even care. Angels showed up to tell shepherds that a Savior came for shepherds. And they let's go check this thing out. So they scurry off to Bethlehem, and they find Mary and Joseph, and they find the baby in a manger, and everything was just the way it was. This is verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Everybody who heard this said, wow, this is amazing. And you know why they were so amazed by what the shepherds had to say? Is because the shepherds had taken a 10 step evangelism class. And they knew how to properly use a set of gospel tracts to leave instead of a tip at the diner. Don't do that. That's wrong. I just thought I'd touch on that. No, why were the shepherds effective in sharing the good news? Because it's good news. And they believed it. they told people, Jesus saved sinners. I'm a sinner. And what does the person talk to you? Go, I know you're a shepherd. You're terrible. He said, oh, I know angels showed up and everything's just the way it was. God saves sinners like me. Well, if He saves me, He must save you. You're pretty decent. And they're excited. And why was the news powerful? Not because of the shepherds, it's because it was good news. This is us. I don't want to bother you. I know you're not a church person. It's not a big deal, but Pastor was talking about sharing the gospel, and I got to do it. Otherwise, I feel guilty. Um, I see your life is sort of a train wreck, and I wanted to know if if you could if you could find Jesus, you might have a life more kind of like mine. You know, my family held together, my kids are halfway decent, and I got a job. I, we wouldn't say those things. They would get it though. Yeah, if you become a Christian, you get your life will kind of be like mine. And what are they thinking? I don't want a life like yours. The shepherds weren't inviting people to be shepherdy. The shepherds were inviting people to find Jesus. All who heard it were like, what's going on? And it's not because of the shepherds, it's because of the baby. It's because Jesus came to make sinners known. Something we must notice, too, about this situation. Notice, as just shepherds go around telling, they weren't telling about the fact that angels showed up. Isn't that interesting? They were telling that the baby was born. The angels were the messenger, and that was not the big deal. The big deal was what? A Savior was born, and this is so crazy, he even saved shepherds. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. That's not normal. You guys, let's go out into the field and hang out with some shepherds because we think church might break out. I mean, what that would be like is me saying to you, hey, let's head out after here, go over to 7-Eleven. Uh, there's uh, a bunch of buildings back there that don't have tenants, be- Any long story short, so now it's full of drug dealers. I know because when I ride my bike past them, they yell at me. So let's go hang out with the drug dealers because church might break out. What would you all say? Um, No. These are shepherds. This is what good news does. It rewires people so now they go away glorifying God. When we read the shepherds went away glorifying God, of course they did because I've got a little manger scene on my thing and they look really spiritual. They've got a staff... You've got a Bible in their left hand. I think in some of them. I'm gonna get in trouble now. Okay, and I'm reimagining your major. What you ought to do, and I'm being serious. Not don't do this, but here's what you ought to do. One of them should be smoking. One of them should have a can of patched blue ribbon in his left hand. Although that's kind of, kind of trendy, and I don't think I don't think shepherds would be that trendy. But it used to be that wasn't that trendy. You say, well, no, that's, that's offensive. Yeah, that's, that's what the gospel does. It saves people like that, who aren't looking for religion. They just discover Jesus shows up with good news. Good news is worth sharing. The shepherds walk away and go, God's like this? His plan is like this? Are you serious? So, this is where we got to be honest. If good news is worth sharing, the fact that it is a significant struggle for all of us, so we, we ought to be all in the same boat on that, we need to realize the issue is familiarity has tempered our enthusiasm. A familiarity, a used to itness, uh, it's tempered our enthusiasm. And one of the things reliving the history of Jesus' birth can do is revive in, this, in us afresh that, wow, he saves. Sinners like me. How can you do that? Well, one thing you can do is just be re- reminded you're not as good as you think you are. I've said this before, oh, worth mentioning again. Some of us have some sins in our past we regret, and some of them it's a real recent past. And we thought, well, I thought once I found Jesus, I'd be over that stuff. I thought that would be fixed. That that would go away. It's gotten worse. Our enthusiasm can be renewed when even as Christians, we look at the struggles we deal with and we go, wait, Jesus, you save sinners like me? You're still? I got saved, I still struggle with sin, and you still love me? That's, That's pretty amazing. What we might have to do is rethink what we think the Christian life is supposed to be like. What many of us think the Christian life is supposed to be like, you find Jesus and you spend the rest of your life discovering how good you can be. Okay, here's what the Christian life is really like. It's going to bother some of you. You spend the rest of your Christian life getting closer to God. The closer you get to God, what do you discover? Oh, man, you got problems. The the trajectory of the Christian life is one of a greater and greater awareness of how much you need Jesus. You have no idea how bad a sinner you are until you stand right next to the Lord. And the whole time, he's just offering his love and grace to us. But we don't like that feeling. We don't like feeling guilty. We don't feel like feeling dirty. We don't, feel like, we don't like feeling like we did something wrong. But the fact is, we never discover the depth of God's grace until we're willing to admit the depth of our neediness of it. The joy of the Christian life is getting closer and closer to God and saying, Boy, God, i got to be honest. I had no idea what a dirtbag I was. You saved me? This, that's not a very churchy thing to do, which is too bad. It's a very Bible thing to do, though. This means that spiritual growth in our life as believers in more and more a great, an increasing awareness of the fact that God is good, not an increasing awareness of the fact that I am good. Good news. Good news is good news because it comes from God. Good news is good news because it's for those who need it. And good news is worth sharing. Okay, just four ideas. We're going to close with this, okay? In regard to sharing the good news, we have to keep this in mind. Sharing the good news is this. It's good news. It's not how to be good. Sharing the gospel is, With yourself in your own heart, sharing the gospel with the people in your home, sharing the gospel with your neighbor is not an effort to tell people how to be good. It is an effort to tell people good news. The temptation is to see how quickly we can get from good news to be good. The angels understood this a little bit better than us. They understood people who hear and believe good news want to live in light of it. They don't need to be told how to necessarily. It's good news. Jesus saves sinners. Well, what if they keep on sinning? What if I share the good news with somebody and they don't stop sinning? I don't know. What do you tell yourself? You have to grapple with that a little bit. I mean, the Bible is clear in 1 John No one should claim the name of Christ who keeps on sinning. What that means is someone who says, It is good for me to do sin. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are frail and broken and struggle. You know, like all of us. Except for that one guy. We won't say who it is. So what if they keep struggling with their sin? What if they get saved and they don't recover from their addictions instantaneously? What if they still have a bad attitude? Do we trust the good news? Is that good? Or do we need to help it along? Okay, second thing. Good news is we're sharing, and we need to be careful. Let's just share good news, not how to be good. I know some of you struggle with it. Send me an email. It's fine. I'll answer eventually. Secondly, good news offends everybody. Gospel offends everyone. The sinner is is very offensive. What does it tell the sinner? You're a dirty, rotten sinner. You don't get to be good enough to get to God, and God has standards you can't keep. Not only can you not keep them, you don't like them. How does it offend the religious? Well, it's annoying, isn't it, that these dirty, rotten sinners rank just as high as you and me? Look at that. The shepherd can get saved, and he now outstrips The high priest and is on equal footing with John the Baptist. Isn't that kind of weird? I've gone to church my whole life. I've avoided uh, the the seven deadly sins, or at least four of them. Three and a half. And now this guy comes in. He spends his whole life doing whatever he wants, and then he gets saved, and he's on equal footing with me, thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. His journey with Christ lasts like four hours. The Apostle John, 96 years of toiling for the Lord, much of it spent in prison. So is the thief on the cross on equal footing with the Apostle John? What's the answer? Yes, because they're in Christ. Neither one would accept uh, righteousness that they have earned. They want Christ's righteousness. So the good news offends. It will offend your neighbor, when you tell them they have sinned against God, it will also offend your religious relative when they find out about that character flaw you have you think nobody knows about, and you tell them, I thank the Lord every day, He just forgives me. And they're thinking, Oh, He'd forgive you if you get your act together. That's not good news. He just forgives me. Good news. The angels went away and the shepherds were struck not by the angels but the fact that Jesus was here. It's good news because the good news is all about Jesus. And we'll close with this. Good news. He's coming back. He's coming back and guess what? There won't need to be angels. I mean there will be. There'll be a couple. There will be no mistaking it. He is coming back. We believe that as much as we believe there is a resurrection, he will show up and it will be how the kids say nowadays, off the chain. I don't know what that means. They don't say that anymore, Todd? Youth pastor sing <laughs> off the hook? It'll be lit? No, I think we did that with the anyway. He's coming back. Good news. He's coming back. When's he coming back is the next question, right? When's he coming back? It's the same answer you tell your kids when you're making a long drive. What is that? We're closer than we've ever been. We're almost there. May he find us worshiping him when he returns. Good news.